The Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129 presents America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture with Father Matt Malone and Carrie Weber. Good day and welcome to the broadcast. I'm Father Matt Malone, Editor-in-Chief of America Magazine. And I'm Carrie Weber, and each week we offer you the news and analysis from the intersection of the church and the world, gathered by our team at America Magazine. And one of our team joins us here in the studio, uh, Colleen Dully. Very nice to have you with us. Good to be here. Jerry O'Connell is or the author of The Election of Pope Francis, an inside account of the conclave that changed history, and with Colleen here, the co-host of our podcast, Inside the Vatican. So if you like the little banter they've got going here, you're going to love the podcast. So you can download that wherever uh, your podcasts are found. Uh, so Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you. We're it's a always, pleasure. We're always glad to chat with you. Um, so your book is about this conclave that elected Pope Francis. What inspired you to start looking into this conclave as as worthy of a book-length narrative? Well, the conclave uh, reflected a, a seismic change in the history of the Catholic Church. For the first time, the the cardinals were choosing a pope from outside Europe, outside, and they had some from Africa, but. European origin, and uh, it, it r- reflected where the Catholics of the world are today in the in the Americas, basically half of them, and it also reflected that the language that's most spoken in the Catholic world is Spanish, mm-hmm. and it reflected also the sense that you really needed to tap into where the energies of the Church are. And uh, Francis, in his own way, uh, as Archbishop of one of the big metropolises of the world, he's the first Archbishop of a metropolis to become Pope. Uh, the The others were even Archbishop of Milan. He was it's it's a big city, but not that big. He he was a city which has more than twelve million people in the Greater Buenos Aires, and. Uh, it was also a city where you've had an influx of immigrants. You have the real the clash between the rich and the poor, and you had a, a church leader who was walking the streets, not being chauffeur-driven. Uh, not uh, he was going into the shanty towns, and uh, he was recognized by everybody as a very humble man. I mean most cardinals, bishops, you see them going around, at least you can see their chains showing that they're a bishop. Uh, sometimes you see the colors. He, I never saw him walking the streets with a chain visible. He wore his simple black clergyman suit. So he, he was coming as a, a different person. In, and now we see bringing a different style of papacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you think, I mean... This is obviously the big question, right? He mentioned that, you know, this was setting up to be a seismic change and, and the cardinal electors knew that they wanted someone different. But do you think they foresaw just how, how different he would be as Pope? Well, uh, I think one of the fundamental things all of them wanted was that they had a, a man as Pope who was recognizable to the not just Catholics, but to the other people in the world, the followers of Islam, of of uh, Hinduism, of Buddhism, of Judaism, that they would recognize him as a man of God, 
and they got that. Mm. What they didn't expect was how radical he was. And the popes in the 20th century lived in, in, in the apostolic palace. He wasn't having any of that. He's living in the Vatican guest house. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were used to somebody who would keep a certain distance. Uh, he is trying kind of plunges into the crowd. John Paul II did it to a certain extent. But he, he's going into areas where real suffering and misery and poverty and he, he wants to go into war situations. We saw him when he went into the Central African Republic. They were shooting the week he came in. They were shooting. Mm-hmm. And, but he, he, d- he was determined to go in. And I think he's bringing also a message, which we talked a bit earlier in terms of the iconic images of this pontificate. He's said from the f- beginning, he took the word f- name Francis, and St. Francis said, you know, you do the gospel, and if necessary, you use words, but you do it. And this is a f- fundamental part of the way Francis is conducting his papacy. He is doing things. And then he's using words where necessary to explain what he's doing. So you, you quoted earlier the instance of the Sudan, but the, there are many, and I'm sure we're not finished with this kind of thing. And secondly, he's, 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 um, the, when the cardinals were in conclave, they were looking for somebody who would be uh, somehow give new energy to the church. Mm. And the church in many places, also in this country, was in, in a way in confrontation with something of the society. And Francis comes in and says, you know, the way ahead is not confrontation. That leads to closing doors, putting up walls and barriers. The way is to to encounter. You meet people, you talk to people, you you find what you have in common. And when you've built trust, then you you look at the more difficult issues. Now this account that you have offered here, uh, and you can read an excerpt of it at americamagazine.org. We had an exclusive excerpt from it. Um, it really is the first draft of the history of this whole conclave, right? I mean, years from now, people will consult this work because you have, the amount of detail and the amount of reporting that you have done here is really impressive, and and no one has had this information or published it previously, which, which, which I imagine some of our readers might then ask, isn't all this supposed to be secret? Like, how do we? How do? How, how is it that these folks have uh, have let the world know, like, who voted and how they, uh, who who received this number of votes and so forth? Isn't the whole thing supposed to be like under lock and key somewhere? Uh, absolutely, and. Uh, <laughs> but you're now a good when, reporter. Now when I mean, you shouldn't know about this until seventy years down the line, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I've known, I've worked in covering the Vatican for 35 years. I built a lot of trust relationships with many cardinals. And all of them were struck by the major shift in the church that this pontificate represented. Mm -hmm. And uh, they felt that somehow the story should be told. Sooner Uh, rather than later. Sooner rather than later, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, They didn't want me to, they gave me information, but they didn't want me to use it immediately. Mm -hmm. So I've waited until seven years into the pontificate. uh, And uh, 
I think uh, the ordinary people they they see secrecy, etc. And this, in a way, is an effort at transparency as well. Mm. Because I think most people don't know how the Pope is elected. They don't know how the uh, president of China is chosen. It's mm-hmm. all a secret. I, I think uh, I've tried to tell the story, not just giving the votes, but telling the story what led people to give their vote in that direction and not in another. And uh, I was very conscious I was writing for history. And I, I think it will stand the test of history when it's... Uh, when the archives are opened. So we it looked like, the way that you tell the story, it looked like we were going to get a fairly conventional choice. Um, when we were talking about Cardinal Scola, who was the head of the Italian Bishops Conference, I want, and the, so it looked like we were going to get an Italian who was relatively sympathetic to his predecessor's main agenda. Um, you know, a fairly conventional choice in the history of the modern papacy, right? An Italian and somebody <laughs> mainly in line with his predecessor. But something happened, and the, the, the conclave uh, turned away from the conventional choice and went with the bold choice. So what, what happened there, other than the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, up to three days before they went in to vote. They went in to vote on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Up to the previous Saturday... The odds were on that uh, the Cardinal Archbishop of Milan would indeed be the next Pope. But uh, there were two other possibilities. One was a Canadian uh, who had spent seven years in Latin America, mainly in seminaries, but he seemed like a bridge between Latin America and uh, the rest of the the world. And uh, a Brazilian the Archbishop of San Paolo, who'd worked in the Vatican, both these two. But the Canadian and the Italian came from the same, as it were, theological stable. Mm. They had the same, they were very close to Cardinal Ratzinger, the former Benedict XVI. They had worked together in the same theology. They had the same kind of mindset in varying degrees. And... uh, the Brazilian was uh, quickly emerged that he was really the the good face, the southern hemisphere's face, but they, he would be assisted by a member of the old, old guard in the Vatican. So they, they sort it, of ran on a ticket together, huh? Yeah, they, it was a kind of a ticket to the papacy, and it reflected that. It would seem things were changing, but nothing would change. And in a, in, a, in a conclave where the cardinals were clearly looking for radical change, he was not the man. So you, the choices were really between two cardinals who were w- reflected more of a continuity with what the 35 years that had gone before, or something totally different. And they they knew this man six out of the 115 voters electors 68 had seen that he was the runner up in 2005 so they knew him they knew he was a holy man they knew he was his simple lifestyle that he was very concerned for the poor and uh, for the church in asia and the church in africa a holy man who related to the other religions was fundamental because most of the Muslims are not in the Middle East, they're in Asia. Hmm. Hmm. 
Uh, people don't realize this. People think all oh, the Muslims are in uh, Saudi Arabia and the Arabian Peninsula or uh, so, somewhere, but they are actually in the middle in uh, Asia. And uh, the most the Hin majority Hindus are in Asia. The majority of Buddhists in Asia. So th they wanted somebody who could be seen by these people as somehow a man of God. And uh, they, they, this is what they got. And so yeah. they found that the alternative was what they went for. Yeah. Something new, something that brought new energy, something that brought a new style, something that came from the new world. People might yeah. be surprised to learn that when reading your book, that there is a certain amount of like campaigning and politicking around this this role that not necessarily by the candidates themselves, but by people trying to support them, uh, that you wouldn't necessarily expect in some ways. Well, anybody who knows the history of the church knows that there's <laughs> always. Uh, I mean, this it's, was it's, squeaky it, clean by yeah, comparison. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's not as if uh, you know the Holy Spirit comes and puts his finger on somebody and everybody looks and says, this is the man. <laughs> there are signs that this is the way the yeah. Spirit is directing the church. Mm. And it became very clear in the first ballot. Of course, people got together and said, you know, we like this one rather than this, this one. And they got together before they, they went into the ballot. But that has been the whole history. I mean, John Paul II, in the conclave in 1978 that elected him, the beginning of the conclave was a battle between two Italians, and they paralyzed each other. And John Paul II had, I think, five votes in the first ballot. Right. And he ended up with almost a plebiscite at the end. Mm -hmm. But how did he get there? The Cardinal Archbishop of Vienna said when he saw this paralysis, said, ah, we have to do something good different. And he and some other cardinals convinced their fellow cardinals, and they caucused. Hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. The, the, like I mean, literally terms around campaigns. You know, yeah. Cardinal right. Scola, the Archbishop of Milan, mm -hmm. said to me, and I, I've written it in the book. He was the front runner. Yeah, he was the front runner. And when I put to him that, you know, people are saying you could be the next pope, and he says, uh, "We can't say this." He said because God uses the factions and the counterfactions, mm. the poverty of people, yeah, to reach. His goals. Grace builds on nature, right? Absolutely. <laughs> right, Absolutely. Right, right, right. Jerry, you know more about the Vatican than probably most people alive, and you're an expert on this issue. As you reported out the story of this conclave, was there anything that surprised even you? Apparently no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was trying to interpret well, what, what the question was, because as I reported the conclave, you mean as I wrote the book? Yeah, as you're writing writing out this book, was there something that you came across that that even you were surprised by? Well, I, I was uh, very surprised at the willingness of people to give me anecdotes. Mm. I was surprised by that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> not that you're not a trustworthy reporter, but, but there's I, a lot of information I, in I here. think uh, the perhaps the really unprecedented part of the book is the chapter on the conclave mm -hmm. and tells you, you actually get a view of what is happening inside as the votes are being counted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, then you get the comments, and the comments are very revealing. How many interviews did you do for this book? I don't know. 
I, I, I did many, many, because sometimes I would have some information, and then uh, I, I always tried to, well, I did. I confirmed the information I had. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, you know, I tend to operate with the old BBC rule. You're either an eyewitness or else you have two independent sources. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I've, that has, was kind of my baseline in writing this book because I knew it would be scrutinized and uh, I'm well aware that people will try to interpret and say, oh, this was a planned uh, kind of coup by one group of cardinals, etc. But the, the thing was infinitely more simple. It was surprising that he emerged as Pope mm-hmm. because until the Saturday before they went into conclave on Tuesday and the Saturday before when he spoke, he had people supporting him, but nobody would have given him, put the money on him. Yeah. And then he spoke, everybody, every cardinal could speak for five minutes. Some spoke for ten, uh, some spoke twice and three times. He just spoke one in the penultimate day. He waited right to the end almost. And Was that a calculation on his part? Tactical well, calculation? Well, it's uh, his style. He doesn't like to come out front. He keeps likes to keep a low profile, and he likes to listen first. Mm-hmm. And obviously, he what he had heard dictated what he said. And what he had heard was a lot of uh, looking in on the church. And he said, uh, we've got to go out. Mm-hmm. We've got to look out, see what's out there. And he, he's, he quoted this famous thing that in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, or some call it the book of the Apocalypse, uh, there's a story of kind of Jesus knocking to come in. Mm-hmm. And he said, I have the feeling that Jesus is inside in the church, knocking to go out, and basically we're keep, keeping him locked in. And I, I think this was very... Uh, it, it said something... The cardinals had already in their speeches, and there had been more than a hundred and something speeches, I think maybe 120 or 130 at this point. They had said everything and everything again. And here was somebody who came and said something totally different. And this struck them, and many, uh, I, uh, Cardinal Scola, I don't think, I don't know if I put it in the book, Cardinal Scola came to him and congratulated him. Hmm for his speech. And several people kind of sat up and looked and there was silence and they looked and they wondered, is this the man that could be the next leader? Because they were not very convinced of the first three candidates. Mm. Yeah. And suddenly here was something new. And the Sunday, there was no meeting and many of them talked. And on the Monday, I retell in the book, there was a gathering in the Monday evening of like-minded cardinals and they looked at what they had got looked at the slate of runners and they found they discovered that they were all thinking the same way that the first three were not inspiring did not reflect a real change did not uh, meet the aspirations that they had and so they decided yes we're going for him and the first ballot surprised everybody because according to many of the inside it Italian church figures and in the Italian media that Cardinal Scola was going to get 40 votes. Mm-hmm. You needed 77. That was the magic number to win. He was going to get 40. He got 30. 
So that was much yeah. nice. And Bergoglio, now Pope Francis, ran within 26, but he also actually got an extra vote because <laughs> he had, they had somebody spelt his name wrong and they put in Broglio. And uh, so uh, he was within three, within... So you could say they were almost neck and neck, and then the Canadian was third. Mm -hmm. and, and nobody expected him to no, be that, that no. high up. And then, uh, for the first time in history, uh, Cardinal, uh, an American came number four. Cardinal Sean O'Malley. Cardinal Sean, mm -hmm. he, yeah, he was in there with ten votes. Mm. And we tell, uh, that's in the excerpt for in the American magazine. You can read it. Right. And, and this surprised people as well. But he, he was very popular. He, he was simple lifestyle. And in a way, he and Bergoglio had something in common. They were simple lifestyle, and uh, they were not showing off their robes and all this kind of thing. And this impacted on people. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the uh, this college of cardinals that elected Bergoglio, Pope Francis, are still pleased with their choice? There are some who are not. But I would think that the vast majority, I know right across, across Asia, they have no doubt. I've talked to practically all the Asian cardinals since. They are very happy with him, very happy. Latin America, remember, there was no, not one cardinal from Latin America participating in the conclave who was not who spoke badly about Bergoglio. Not mm. one. Mm. And that's always a good sign. Yeah. And so the, those who know him best. Yeah. Mm. The, the, because he had emerged as the leader of the Latin American Church in two thousand and seven. Uh, there are some uh, who uh, didn't know what they were getting. M many cardinals don't know each other, so they take their cue from kingmakers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because this is a worldwide body that meets infrequently, and these folks, it's not like these folks went to the same schools necessarily or to the same place. They're from different countries. They speak different languages, so they all get in this room. It's almost... It seems impossible that there aren't going to be factions, right? Because you, you, you have to start talking. You have to start the conversation somewhere. So you start with the people you know, and and it's amazing how little they can know about the majority of their colleagues, right? Yeah, absolutely. Several of them said to me, you know, I, I'm a novice here. I, I don't know. I, I don't know the people. Right. And even the, the front book. runners, even the the three front runners, and many cardinals told me, I, I don't know much about this guy. Mm -hmm. And, and six of them were brand new, right? Since six of them were made in the November, the no Benedict had already decided to resign, and mm -hmm. he made six new cardinals, and none—not right. one of them were Italian, mm -hmm. not right. one of them. And I think it'll be even more complicated in the next conclave. Why is that? Because Francis is choosing them from the peripheries of the world, from places that, that never, some of places never have had cardinals before, mm. and. They have not met as a body. Yeah. They have met when the Pope makes new cardinals. He'll make new cardinals this year at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they will meet maybe for the second time. And there's no way in that short day or two that they're in Rome together that they're going to go into deep conversations with the other 110 or 15, 20. So... Uh, Again, the next conclave, it will be the, the kingmakers, those who know many of the cardinals who are able to vouch for this person or that person and who, whom others trust to give good information. 
Do you have a sense that the next conclave would be uh, leaning toward electing somebody who would sort of continue this Francis mindset, or if it would sort of swing back in the other direction the way often American political uh, presidential elections go, where kind of one extreme to another? I think, first of all, there's no conclave on the immediate horizon. No, correct. (laughs) Francis has already made 47% of the electors. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, this year he will be 50-something percent. He is choosing people who have a similar like mind. Now, this doesn't mean that they will choose exactly like him. But it's unlikely that they will betray his general direction. Francis is is, uh, starting processes, ways of dealing with questions, ways of looking. He's reforming the the Roman Curia, but he's reforming it in a way that more decisions are going to be taken out down in the countries, not in the center. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, I, I think it's quite likely that it will be a person largely sympathetic to his agenda. Mm. So we have just about a minute left. Um, I, I think final question: What is the thing about Pope Francis that is the least understood? I think uh, the least understood is the fact that this is a man of peace. He's deeply at peace. He's not. People say there's all this opposition to. I mean, he has an interior peace. He's right? got an in- interior peace. It he he tells the story that during the lunch before he was elected and during the final session of the voting, he got experienced this internal peace and it has never left him. And so he is not disturbed and he likes people to speak strongly uh, but honestly, mm-hmm. not be two-faced. He doesn't like two-faced people. And uh, so I think this, and he's a free man. He He's really feels that uh, we built customs and traditions over the years in the church. We're not bound by them. The gospel, we go to the roots of the gospel, what right. is there? And if these are not working today, then we put them aside. So he, he's not tied by tradition with right. a small t. Well, there you have it. The book is called The Election of Pope Francis, an inside account of the conclave that changed history. It's available from Orbis Books, everywhere the fine books are sold, as they say. Um, We couldn't be more proud uh, that the author is our own Vatican correspondent, Jerry O'Connell. Thanks so much for being with us. It's a fine book. Thank you. It's a a very fine book. And, I mean, it's a fascinating story. And, you know, we always say in America, we're, we're, you know, sort of one step removed from the news cycle in that we're more of an analysis shop. But every now and then we have an opportunity to break some news or to say something in a new way or to tell people something they didn't know before. This is a prime example. Um, And it comes down to having the right guy in the right place at the right time, which I guess is what electing the Pope comes down to. (laughs) So (laughs) you've been listening to America This Week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You can find out about all that we talked about today at americamagazine.org. And to subscribe to America... Call 1-800-627-9533. That's 1-800-627-9533 for a smart Catholic take on faith and culture. For Carrie Weber and Colleen Dully, I'm Father Matt Malone. Good day.
You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.